0: God's word given to us today from Philippians 4 10 through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, we thank you for your most holy word. Uh, We thank you that it shows us uh, the way to Christ. We thank you that it shows us Uh, how we might be uh, renewed and restored in a right relationship with you. And not only that, uh, but even as our passage shows us today and how we're reminded throughout the liturgy, Lord, that we are restored uh, to a relationship with you that abounds uh, in restoration horizontally as well uh, with our neighbors, with our community, with this world uh, that you have purchased by the the blood of your son. And so God, we pray that uh, this morning, uh, as you speak through your servant, Pastor Andrew, Lord, that you'd impress upon your hearts and on our hearts um, the ways that you are drawing us into greater partnership in the gospel with one another. Uh, Lord, we surrender this time to you and incline our hearts and ears to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: be seated. Well, here we are, last week in Philippians. Um, I hope you've enjoyed walking through this book as much as I have, and you have a sense maybe of its construction and how its themes fit together, how uh, these many verses that have become slogans in Bumper stickers and cute little wall hangings and things maybe hold together. We have a couple of more slogans this week that hopefully we will put into context. If you remember, just, you know, even taking your Bibles and looking back over, uh, the book starts with this celebration of fellowship, of koinonia. Some of you know that that Greek word of, of fellowship, sharing, partakers, uh, participators, Um, this has been our theme, you know, the partnership in the gospel, how that partnership gets expressed in so many different ways, including suffering. Uh, The center of this book was, of course, Jesus Christ. Uh, If any encouragement in Christ, consider him who, though he was equal to God, did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And so then Paul just sort of rolls that back out to where we are today, and he is ending where he started. This idea of partnership, this idea of koinonia, fellowship, a new humanity in the midst of a world that was so segregated. One writer puts it this way, on the surface, the world Paul lived in seems very different than ours, but really the similarities outnumber the changes. The racial, national, social, religious divisions, which we are familiar with, are nothing new. It was exactly the same in Paul's world, where Greek despised barbarian, Jew scorned the Gentile. The benefits of Roman civilization were conferred to those so graced, along with the crosses on which national freedom fighters choked their lives to an end. But Paul knew a humanity which had come to birth A new people which superseded and transcended humanity's cherished tribalism. A truly third world, bestriding the cultural boundaries of the Greek and the barbarian, the religious boundaries of the Jew and the Gentile, the political boundaries of imperial Rome and its rebellious subjects. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, that Paul is giving us here in in this book and really throughout the New Testament. It's a beautiful picture uh, of a community that exists because of Christ. It's a community that exists because of the absolutely perfect, finished, accomplished work of Christ applied in our lives. And so today what I want us to do is just take this uh, concluding You know, this exit, the the landing pad here that Paul has for this book, and walk through it and, and look at the characteristics of that community as it gets played out in our lives. The reality of it is in Christ. We are in Christ, Christ is in us. That is the reality of this community. The outworking of it we see here as Paul talks about a couple of different things. I actually want to switch up your outline. I know some of you, a big obstacle for you. But uh, I want to put point two first uh, and talk about the satisfaction that we have in Christ. Then talk about the sharing. And then finally talk about our supply or our source as we go. So, the community that we have is something that is marked by intense satisfaction. So, here Paul is uh, concluding his letter. He wants to thank again the Philippians for their partnership. Uh, Paul, of course, is in prison in Rome, house arrest. Uh, Prison system then wasn't exactly like it is now. Uh, We don't have, they didn't have dollars uh, from the government going to the prison system that was feeding the prisoners, housing the prisoners, all of those different things. They were dependent upon the generosity of others in their community to come through. The Philippians apparently. had come through with a gift that was going to pay Paul's rent as he was under house arrest that was going to provide for him some food. Otherwise, he would be at the mercy of his own hunger. Uh, All of those different things would uh, would become a reality for him. But Paul starts by saying, "I I appreciate your gift, but I want you to know that even if you hadn't sent the gift... I would be content. I would be satisfied because I know the one thing. You know, he's been talking about this one thing throughout the book of Philippians. I I press on to know this one thing: to live is Christ, to die is gain. And there is a contentment that Paul has that he wants his uh, he wants his. Uh, his fellow compatriots the Philippians to to know about now it's interesting here he uses sort of a stoic idea there's a number of ways throughout that that Paul uses the language of the day he uses this stoic idea of contentment but Paul doesn't use it in the Stoic way. It's not just that I am resolute, that I, I grin and bear it, whereat, whatever my circumstances might be. No, Paul is saying something very different. Here's how one writer puts it. He says, for the Stoic, contentment was a human achievement, something that we determined to be or to do. But for Paul... Contentment was a divine gift. The Stoic was self-sufficient, but Paul was God-sufficient." Uh, And this is where Paul finds himself, in the midst of his imprisonment, in the midst of false accusations, in the midst of the very possibility that his life could be taken from him uh, as a result of an imperial judgment that might go against him. Paul was content because Christ was his all in all. Uh, He was so filled with the knowledge of Christ, the experience of Christ, the peace of Christ that we talked about last week that was actively on guard, protecting his heart and mind. This was the source of his contentment. So whatever might come his way, Paul says, I can do all things, I can endure all all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's interesting, this is another one of those slogan verses, and oftentimes you'll see like an athlete, you know, with his arms raised, I can do all things, or, you know, there's this sense of victorious achievement uh, if we will simply be Christian uh, in the way that we go about doing these things. That's not exactly what this verse is talking about. This, this verse actually has a picture of privation, a picture of, uh, of being in need, but being content, being joyful. I can do, I can endure all things through Christ. Who gives me strength because that is the most important thing. To me. So, that's the picture that, that Paul gives us of, of a community that goes forward. It's a community that's fixated on Christ that is content whatever the circumstance because we have and we know the one thing needful. What's interesting about this here in this passage is, is notice that Uh, Paul speaks in in two different occasions, verse 11 and then also in verse 12, of having learned. Uh, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. So, he says in whatever these circumstances, and notice it's not only difficult situations, it's also abundant situations, which can be uh, a very real temptation for dislodging us from our need for Christ. But Paul says in all of these situations, I've, I've learned how to be content. It's not something that comes naturally. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, I mean, being content, uh, being, you know, it's interesting that we talk about this during the Thanksgiving week. It's It's not something that just readily emanates from our hearts. Remember earlier, Paul talked about grumbling and complaining and uh, just how that oftentimes can be the attitude of our hearts when things don't go exactly the way that we want them to, Uh, whether it's relationally or financially or with our jobs or uh, where we find ourselves in life. But Paul says, I've learned, I've pressed on to take hold of that which is taking hold of me. You see Paul's thought continuing to be worked out in this way. I I do love that passage that we used for our... Uh, declaration of forgiveness today from Hebrews chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He was heard because because of his reverence. And then note this verse. Although, we're talking about Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all. It's okay if you don't know everything. It's okay if you're not perfect in your contentment. It's okay if you're struggling in your Christian life. Part of what Paul is telling us, part of what the author to Hebrews is telling us, even about Jesus' experience throughout his life, is that learning is part of it? Pressing on, taking hold, growing. Think about you know the birthdays that we talked about. You know, from Sullivan at one to Nella at ninety-four. Wherever you are uh, on on that spectrum of life, we're always learning. We're always pressing deeper. Into the upward call that God has given us to rest in Him and to enjoy Him. The tendency, I think, is to forget that. The tendency is to just settle. I was reading an article this week, just doing some research on contentment and thinking about what that might look like, and came across an article entitled No Contentment. In content. Uh, and just reflecting on the amount of content that we have and Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max and uh, YouTube TV and all of the stuff that we have with regards to uh, with regards to uh, entertainment and filling our mind and filling our time, especially, when we are disquieted in our spirit, especially when we are looking for escape. And the way that this writer, his name is Aaron Hayworth, puts it, he says, uh, when you're feeling the impulse to click keep watching and unplug from the world, ask yourself, what am I trying to find by binge-watching? And then ask, what What else might God have in store for me in his gifts of prayer and scripture and community? Whether we're restless, listless, running on empty, the God of rest will find us where we are. No escape necessary. Binge-watching has never changed my morning into dancing or taken off my funeral clothes and dressed me up in joy. There is only one thing that can do that, and it isn't a thing at all. It's a person. The surest of rest and new life is only found when we press into and commune with God. The Holy Spirit is with us, inviting us to join with all the saints, angels, and archangels when we feel alone, when we feel overwhelmed. God is already there in our hurt and in our suffering. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. You see, what, what Paul is saying here is, is don't settle. Don't, don't settle for the appetizer, the cheap filler. You know, wait for the main course. Press into it. Learn The secret of contentment. Allow yourself to be filled with Jesus and Him alone. That's the whole point of the book of Philippians. The most lovely thing in all of the universe is the one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing. And because of that, he's been given the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess him as Lord. Paul is saying, I'm content because we're content because Christ is our all in all. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And then notice the, the relationship between the satisfaction that we have and the sharing that we do. This is a, a verse or a section very much about generosity. Generosity is one of the greatest marks of the Christian. Uh, and I say this for a couple of reasons. I mean, on the one hand, there, there's just this belief that the world is not our home. Uh, that that we are passing through, that the things that we enjoy in this life, whether they be material things, whether they be relationships, whether they be whatever, they're, they're just simply a taste of what we, is in store for us forever. And, and so for the Christian, we, we understand that, and, and we no longer settle for those things. Those don't become our end. They're not the ultimate Thing for us, but rather their uh, their gifts along the way to be shared freely because we know, like Paul says, we, we know that we are so firmly held by the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever is going to happen to me is going to turn out for my good, whether I live or or die, it is all gain because of where I am situated in Christ. So so generosity is the outflow of that. And we certainly see that here in the, the Philippians or the Macedonians as we know about them. Remember in Acts 16, Paul is invited to come over to Macedonia by the Macedonian man, Philippian or, or Philippi is the first place that he ends up going. And then from that day on, they have been this incredibly generous people. Uh, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You didn't know where I was. You didn't know what was happening to me. You couldn't get a gift from me. But it was kind of you to share in my troubles, verse 14. You Philippians yourselves know at the beginning of the gospel uh, or when you experience the gospel, when you receive the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 uh, and 2 where he says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So Paul is saying, here's what marks you... As believers, here is one of the evidences of this that you, from the very beginning, from the moment that you have received the gospel, that it has taken root in your heart, and you really understood how secure you were in Christ, you really understood that you could do all things through Christ who gives you strength. It has overflowed in generosity, even when you were in severe affliction and extreme poverty. There was an abundance, an overflow of generosity. Generosity has absolutely nothing to do with how wealthy you are. Generosity has nothing to do with the, you know, the, the, the abacus of resources uh, that accrue to your credit. Generosity has to do with your attitude of heart. Generosity has to do with the absolute assurance of of who Christ is and what He has done in your life. Two observations here just in terms of application. One, you know, generosity is certainly commended as we see Paul talk about it, uh, verse Uh, 18, he says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You know, Paul has used this language of sacrifice throughout the book of Philippians. He uses it in Romans as well. And what he's saying is when when you are generous, whether it is with your, your money or with your time or with your attention, with the gifts that you have, with the home that you've been given, hospitality, whether you are are generous with the way that you approach an opponent or an enemy, uh, no matter what the generosity is, when when you exercise that generosity, it is an offering that ascends in in a fragrance that is pleasing to the Lord. The Lord delights in His people being generous. Generosity is something that is commended. You know, I love the way that our BCO. How often do we get BCO in sermons? You know, some of you don't even know what that is—the Book of Church Order. Uh, so it, uh, you know, it's it's got a lot of different things in there. But I love the way that it talks about the the role of the deacons. We're thinking about officers uh, in the coming weeks, and, and the role of the deacons in the church is to stir up the gifts of generosity in the community. Isn't that a, such a beautiful thing? Uh, it, the deacons aren't the ones that are supposed to do everything. And I see a couple deacons saying amen. Uh, you know, they're not the ones that are supposed to do everything, but, but they stir up generosity. So, as, as they have needs being made known, uh, there's somebody in our community that, that needs to be moved uh, they they let the community know, and the community comes around and says, "Yeah, I can use some time. I can be generous with my time. I can be generous with my back and my arms, and and I can help you move." Uh, as they find financial needs within the congregation, you know somebody has come into a difficult situation. They they stir us up in terms of. Generosity. So we worked on the budget for this coming year. You know, we want to support ministry, ministry here in Grand Rapids, ministry throughout the world. Uh, and, and there is a sense in which we say, you know, how do we how do we invite the congregation? Into this ministry? How do we invite the congregation to be generous in response to what God has given us? And this is something that this congregation knows of, so feel like preaching to the choir in some senses. But again, Paul just comes back and says, This is the mark of, of Christianity, is that we are generous. In our spirit, we're generous with our finances and with our time. Uh, We're generous with our attention. As you know, we have many other things to do, and I can be so guilty of this. I get so distracted so easy. But to really sit and focus on somebody and to be generous with my attention uh, in, in welcoming them in and making them feel like they're the only person that matters. In that particular moment? Can we do that even in our families, with our kids? I mean, it's, it's hard, right? This is not something that comes easy. We learn the secret of contentment, which then helps us to learn this grace of generosity. So Paul commends generosity to them. And, and Paul then also reminds us that it, it is something that gives back. You, you notice how Paul says that in verse 17? Not that I seek the gift. So Paul is saying, listen, I appreciate your gift. I really do. Paul isn't just giving them a backhanded compliment. He really appreciates it. He, he needs it. Uh, but What I'm even more glad about, Paul is so selfless, is that you also are getting the joy of this. Uh, There is the fruit that increases to your benefit. You know, when when we are generous, what we find out is is not that, uh, you know, those who are the recipients of our generosity are the most blessed, but we are actually the most blessed. You know, there is the fruit that increases to our benefit, and I think many of you can talk about this in your own experience, uh, that as you have found that time uh, by God's strength and God's enablement to be generous, you have found that God hasn't left you, right? In fact, He increases that. Now, again, we, we don't... We don't exercise generosity in order to get that benefit, but we exercise generosity because we know who we are in Christ. We know that we have already received all of this. And, and this is what then Paul leads us to uh, with, this, with his, uh, the last thing I want to point out to us is that we are the well-supplied, the community that. Christ is establishing this partnership it is one that is satisfied in Christ alone shares uh, promiscuously and generously because they know how well supplied they are. They know that they are, uh, that we are sourced. You look at verse 19. This is another one of those slogan verses, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory of Jesus Christ. God will supply every need of yours. Now, uh, This isn't, you know, put it in context here. This isn't just that you have everything that you want. Paul Paul is talking about this in context of giving away. You know, so as, as you intend to be generous, and you say, well, I don't know if I can be that generous because, you know, I have this need and that need, and, you know, if I... If I I give my time in this way, am I really going to be supplied? I I need my me time over here. And, you know, Paul is talking about the supply given when we think that we can't go that next step of generosity. Look at Isaiah 58. If you have a Bible and, and you can turn to it, otherwise you can just listen and I'll read it to you. I, I love this passage in Isaiah 58 where uh, you know, the prophet is talking about the type of fast that he has for Israel. Uh, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? So he, he's talking about a vision of the community of God that really works on behalf of the oppressed. And, and, and part of that vision, which is an ongoing vision for today, is, well, if I do this, am I going to run out of resources? I don't know if I have the ability to really step into those places. They're so draining. I don't know if I have the ability to step into those places. There, there are so many needs. Can I, can I really exercise that kind of generosity? But, but here's what God promises, you shall call, this is verse 9 of Isaiah 58, and the Lord will answer, you shall cry, and he shall say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry... And satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then your light shall rise in the darkness. Your gloom shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. Satisfy your desire in scorched places. And make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden. Like a spring of water. Whose waters do not fail. Do you see what God is saying here? He's saying... Again, rest in who you are. You belong to me through Christ. You can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We pour ourselves out in generosity, whether it's financially or relationally or with our time or our gifts or whatever it is. We pour ourselves out because our God will supply every need that we have. He says, if you pour yourself out on behalf of the hungry, you will be like one whose bones will not fail. You will not grow weak and needy. You will be like a well-watered spring whose waters do not fail. It's like you continually being poured into, and that's the idea that Paul is giving. He's not saying, hey, you just follow Christ, and you're going to have everything that you want. He's saying as you continue to serve, as you continue to pour out a life of generosity, there is going to be more and more and more that is going to be there. You can really do all things in terms of service, in terms of loving those who are around you, in terms of breaking the yoke of the oppressed, of injustice that you see in the community, all of these different things, because our God will supply every need. And notice, He will supply every need according to His riches in glory. I love the way that... um, Uh, That one writer puts it where he says, All of these references to the boundless, glorious riches of God provide the basis for understanding Paul's confidence that God will fulfill his promise to meet all our needs, not with a stingy, meager pittance, but with a lavish, abundant provision befitting the limitless wealth of God. I mean, imagine that. All of the resources of heaven at your disposal. You know, what? what's your income? Is it six figures? Is it, you know, mid five figures? Is it low five figures? It doesn't matter. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you you have all of the abundance of glory according to his glorious riches. They are yours in Christ Jesus. This is just such a beautiful picture of of what it means to be rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and then to be a community that really uh, extends that fragrance throughout its community. Uh, Not only the community of the local church, Paul says certainly, you know, take care of the household of faith. But Paul also talks about the places where we are put into, into your workplaces, into your neighborhoods, into Grand Rapids for us as a church in West Michigan, into the world community as we share this, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Paul here is separated by many miles, Rome to Philippi. But they recognize the need of their brother and they come to his rescue and they seek to share with him. God will supply every need. And then notice how he ends his letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I've pointed this out to you before It's worth mentioning again, I actually really love this about Paul's letters. If you flip back to Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a formula that Paul uses, Colossians, Ephesians, Corinthians, all of these different places. Grace to you is what he says in beginning his letters. But when he comes to the end, he says, grace with you. We saw that last week, the peace of God be with you. It's almost like Paul wants to personify for the Philippians, that as he is signing off and he is sending them out to be the church, that they're not going alone. That this Lord Jesus, who is at the center of this letter that Paul has shared with the Philippians, that this Lord Jesus is going with them. When they go into the marketplace, you know, when they see the injustice that is there and they have to stand forward, when they are called upon to not follow the emperor worship that their guild is demanding, when they go into the home and when they see their husband, their wife, their children, when they see those that are within their household working for them, their employees, when they engage those who have been taken captive, when they engage the ideas of the marketplace that are setting themselves up against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ, wherever they go, Paul is saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Grace has a name. It is the Lord Jesus. And wherever we go, in our homes, in our work, the Lord Jesus is there with us, supplying all of our needs through his grace. Brothers and sisters, I, I don't know where you are on your journey with the Lord, but I hope you see the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to this church in a world that is remarkably like our own. Uh, this letter it is a warm invitation to come and find ourselves in Christ to repent of anything that might take us away from the Lord Jesus, to be found in Him, to, be, to press on, to take hold of that which has taken hold of us, and to allow the world to see it. You know, Paul says in Philippians uh, chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved... As you've always obeyed, not so now, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, work out your own salvation, fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in in vain or labor in vain. This is Paul's prayer, that we shine like lights in the world that he has given us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the, the beautiful picture of the community Uh, that you have made, a community that is uh, centered on Jesus Christ, a community that knows his finished work, a community that has repented of all that would lead us away, uh, that is learning the secret of contentment, that is continuing to practice generosity, knowing that we are well-supplied in the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that you would make us such a community. We pray that our lights would indeed shine uh, in a twisted and perverse generation. We pray this all in Jesus' name.